0: If you would take your Bibles with me this evening to Mark chapter 5, the gospel of Mark chapter 5, and when you found it, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 5, I will begin reading in verse 21, if you would join me on verse 22, and we'll read responsibly down through verse 34. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 says, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Let's pray this evening. Lord, I do love you. Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather around your word. Lord, and I pray that as it's opened this evening... Holy Spirit, you'd fill this place. I pray you'd fill pastor as he preaches. Lord, I pray each one of us would be spirit-filled listeners. Lord, and I pray you'd take the truths of your word, Lord, and apply them to our hearts. Lord, and I pray that you'd take what we hear and that we would live it out in our lives this upcoming week. Lord, I pray that you'd make a difference in our lives. Lord, I pray that because of this message, we would become a little more like you, God. We become a little more like the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that everything we say and do here tonight would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: When I first began to walk with the Lord. I did not really trust him, how he longed for me to understand that I could, so through could I ever doubt a God whose hands hold this union
2: Sadra. I never heard that song before and uh, that was a blessing. I appreciate that. If your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 5, yesterday at our soul winning meeting I shared a little thought with the folks that had gathered to go out and uh, just sort of haven't been able to get away from and just kept going back to this scripture and I want to uh, just to expand upon that a little bit, the text before us is a familiar one. The Savior is returned from the country of the Gadarenes where he healed that man. We refer to him as the Maniac of Gadara, demon-possessed man, uh, and the man's life was truly changed, and He got into a boat, sailed back across the Sea of Galilee and landed uh, at the place, a a little seaport town called Capernaum. That was his earthly headquarters. There there was a synagogue there, the remains of which still stand. um, And it was a pretty impressive structure and so forth. Uh, The Bible says when he, he got out of the boat that one of the rulers of that synagogue, a man by the name of Jairus, came running up to Jesus and when he saw him, he fell down at the feet of Christ. That was an unusual thing for um, a a ruler of a synagogue, any one of the leadership of the Jewish people to do. Most of the time, they held the savior at at arm's length. Uh, Many of them did not like him, they despised him and eventually it was that leadership that called for the crucifixion. But Jairus was in a different situation. He had a 12 year old daughter who was at the point of death. It's amazing how trials can cause us to change our view of how much we need the Lord. We can carry on for days and months and weeks and years and, and, and act as if none of it matters until the heartache hits us and then all of a sudden we need God desperately and that was Jairus' case. And, and he, he begged the Savior, my little daughter, he said in verse 23, lieth at the point of death, I pray thee, come, lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And I like verse 24, and Jesus went with him. Jesus didn't step back and say, oh, now you want me. Yeah, you, you've ignored me up until now. Uh, You you haven't liked me. you've, You've not wanted me to be a part of your synagogue. And now that your daughter is sick, you want me. Aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us like that? The Savior just says, the Bible just says, Jesus went with him. And he's on his way to Jairus' house because there's a little girl there that is dying that needs his touch. As he traveled through that that town, the streets are very, very narrow. Uh, A great multitude, the Bible says, of people followed him and thronged him. He was just pinned pinned in on every side by this crowd of people. And in that crowd was a certain woman. We sort of believe that she lived in or near the city of Capernaum. Uh, and And the scripture says in verse 25, she had an issue of blood 12 years. Um, She would have been somewhat of an outcast. That type of a condition would have made her unclean uh, according to Jewish law. Uh, She would not have been allowed to go into the temple of Jerusalem uh, and most people would have stayed away from her. The Bible said that she'd had that condition for some 12 years. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She had spent all of her living. She was, she was penniless now, and yet she was, uh, she was no better than she was when she started seeing them. In fact, the Bible says she rather grew worse. But she'd heard about Jesus, and she came along, and uh, all she could think is, if I can just touch the hem of his clothing uh, I can be healed. She had such tremendous positive faith in him. And so she, w- she managed to do that. The scripture says elsewhere, she touched the hem of his garment. Uh, she actually bent down and touched the bottom of his robe where there was a ribbon of blue sewed into the fabric of his clothing. Uh, all Jewish people would have had that in that day and age. And uh, you, you realize there's a multitude there. She runs the risk of being trampled. But she's humbling herself. She's very honest before the Lord. She touches him and she is healed while Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Now, the Savior could have kept going. He could have let her be healed and that was it. But he wanted everybody to understand the power that he possessed, the care and the love that he possessed, and he stopped everything. Um, And he said, somebody just touched me. Now, you can imagine Jairus is standing beside him. Jairus is frantic. He's got a daughter that's at the point of death. Every minute counts. And now the Lord is stopping in the middle of this crowded street. And he said, who touched me? Somebody touched me. I know it because virtue's gone out of me and and somebody's been healed. By the way, this is not the fact that the Savior didn't know. He knew exactly who it was. He knew everything about her because he was God. He is God. Nothing took him by surprise. Uh, He wanted everybody else to understand exactly the power of faith and the power that he possessed. And uh, so he, he looked around and the lady realized that the Savior knew and she thought she was in trouble. And, and, and trembling, she came and said, but it, it was me and, 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 and I just touched your garment. I knew I could be healed. And uh, the Lord is very kind with her. Uh, and the, the Bible says uh, in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. A wonderful, wonderful miracle on the way to Jairus house. You understand Jesus was on a mission. There was a man that said, I need you to come to my house and I need you to heal my little daughter. And he's on his way and on his way, he came across somebody else who also had a need, who needed him. He didn't brush her off. He didn't just keep going. He stopped and he dealt with that individual. I can't speak for anybody else. I tend to be a very single-minded person. When I come into my office this week, I will take out a sheet of paper, and I will write down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and everything that is supposed to take place on those given days. I'll look over at my day timer where I have appointments written down, and I'll transfer uh, information to that that page and so forth, so that as I start every single day, I'll look at that, well, I got to do this, and now I got to do this, then I got to do this, and so forth, and my mind will get focused on my to-do list. there anybody else like that part of the reason I write it down is because I'm old and if I don't write it down I will forget it Uh, and it will never get done I am just at that place in life but I am finding out uh, and have been finding out for a long time that I can write every list that I want but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to get a text or a phone call from someone uh, that's not on my list And uh, it's going to take some time away from what was on my list that I thought I needed to accomplish on that particular given day. And there's a tendency because I'm so focused on going to Jairus' house that I can almost resent those other interruptions or I can uh, try to put them off because I need to get to Jairus' house. But along the way, there are some people that God puts into my path that I'm supposed to try to help and care for. Um, The point of this whole thought is we need to learn to be so sensitive to the leadership of God that even though we're we're headed in one direction and we've got this that we want to accomplish, that we never ever get to the place that we, we fail to see the other needs, the woman with the issue of blood that also needs our time and our attention. We're going to do a very simple illustration. We haven't done it in a little while, but we've done it before. I want everybody here to hold up your index finger, just one of them. Hold it up. I want you to hold it out in front of you, okay? Now, don't don't look at it yet. Just kind of look around and, and so forth, and uh, there's a whole world around us. Right now, you're all in, in great focus, uh, and, and uh, I can see everything. I can tell who's... Uh, Uh, paying attention who's not. I know who's naughty and who's not, uh, who's nice and all that kind of stuff. Now I want you to look at your finger and I want you to look at your fingernail and I want you to stare intently at your fingernail. How many can see it, okay? Now, keeping your focus on your fingernail, what's everything else look like? Yeah, it's kind of blurry. It's there, right? You know it's there, correct? But it's, it's uh, all kind of blurry because your focus is on your fingernail. Now, take your finger down. What's everything else look like now? It all just came back into focus. Sometimes in life, we are not careful. We get so focused on ourselves that we forget everything else. We get, we get so focused on our needs and our burdens, and our problems, and, and our next thing on the agenda on our next gyrus house, that we lose sight of everything else. It all just kind of gets blurred, and it becomes somewhat meaningless to us. But We need to understand something in the grand scheme of thing. My little fingernail is tiny compared to everything else that is in this room. The Savior had the ability, yes, he was focused on Jairus' house. There was going to be a miracle, not of healing, but of resurrection at the home of Jairus when he got there. But the Savior never forgot everybody else on the way. He had the ability to realize, yes, I'm going to Jairus' house, but there's going to be somebody else that's going to come across my path that's going to need me just as much as Jairus does. I always find it interesting when I read this account in the gospels that this woman had an issue of blood 12 years. And Jairus daughter was 12 years old. Now we're not sure how long she had been sick. It might've been a fast acting illness, but you understand that the woman with the issue of blood, she had been sick as long as that little girl had been alive it, it, that 12 years there is is very telling. This woman had suffered and suffered and suffered, but the Savior wasn't about to pass her by because he was so focused on Jairus' house that he ignored the need of that lady. With that in mind, just a couple of very simple thoughts about us, about learning to be sensitive, learning to be sensitive, learning to respond easily to the needs and the hurts and the burdens of other people around us. We need to number one, become more sensitive to the needs of hurting people. Sensitive to the needs of hurting people. Last Sunday morning, uh, Brother Corey Bain was with us and preached in the morning service, just a remarkable message uh, and, and helped so many people. Uh, I I stood with him out in the lobby, and so many people combined said, man, that is exactly what I needed. And he he just talked about dealing with difficulties and trials and and, and burdens and things like that. And and, and Brother Bain and I were out to lunch a little bit after the service, and we reminisced that uh, when we went to Bible college, our pastor, uh, Dr. Jack Hiles, used to make the statement often at the college to us, if you're preached to hurting people, you will never want an audience because that is what the world is filled with, is hurting people. We need to learn to be sensitive to the needs of hurting people, and that's not always the case. Again, sometimes we are so focused on ourselves and our journey that everything else blurs around us. You're in the gospel of Mark chapter five. Turn over a page to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, if you would please. And um, would you uh, just kind of follow along with me? Verse number um, 30. The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. He had sent them out uh, two by two and empowered them and they've come back and they're rejoicing with the, the, uh, the results of, of their, their journey out. And he said unto them, verse 31, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while now the desert doesn't seem like a very hospitable place more than likely he was saying let's go to an oasis out in the desert and let's just rest you've been busy you've been working hard you've been preaching you've been traveling an awful lot Uh, let's just take a step back and let's go to an, an oasis out in the desert where there's some palm trees and a pool of water and let's just rest a while the Bible says in, in uh, verse number 31, the last part, for there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. I mean, they couldn't even grab a bite to, in, to eat in between dealing with people. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. They just kind of took off, told nobody where they were going and they're, they're headed. Verse 33, the people saw them departing and many knew him. And ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. The people saw him taking off, and they saw the direction of the boat, and maybe they they kind of just guessed at where he was likely to be headed, and they took off running on foot around the, the, the sea of Galilee to the other side. And uh, you know the disciples think, you know, you know, it's R and R time. You know, it's a day off. It's vacation time, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think they were looking forward forward to that as as any of us would. Can you imagine their chagrin as their their boat pulls to land and there's that giant multitude of going again, saying, "Hey, y'all!" And and I'm not sure that the disciples were like, "Hey, y'all, back!" It's like, "Go away!" And and I can I, I think I can prove that in a moment. Uh, So they they came together, verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. You understand, Jesus hadn't had any time to eat either. Jesus was giving of himself day and night. Jesus was healing people and teaching people and helping people and and so forth. And that desert place and that rest was as much for Jesus as it was for Peter, James, John, and the rest of the fellows. But when he saw this multitude of people, he was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, it's it's just about over. The sun is about to set. The R&R is running out of time. The, the, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place and now the time is far past, meaning we just lost our rest day. We were supposed to come over here for us and we've lost that. The day's all it is all over. Verse 36, send them away. The disciples, look this way, please. The disciples were so focused on their rest day on their weariness, on their hunger, that the needs of the multitude were all blurred to them. And their answer was, send them away. We're the ones that need rest. We're the ones that need some time to eat. Send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So they were they were somewhat concerned, somewhat aware of the need, but they just wanted, Lord, just send them away. Send them away, we lost our chance. And, and I think in the back of their mind is if it wasn't for these people, we'd already been in that oasis. If it wasn't for them, we would already have had our dinner. We would already have been resting as much as we needed that, but because of these people, we didn't get it, just send them away. And of course, the Savior didn't do that. Uh, the disciples got to work for the rest of what remained of that day, and this was the feeding of the five thousand. But there's that tendency, we start focusing on self, and we're no longer sensitive to the needs of other people. Our Savior was never like that. Turn to Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Beloved, if we're not careful we will become very calloused, very numb to the needs of other people, especially if we're going through a trial ourselves. And we start thinking only of our own needs and our own wants and our own comforts, and our response can very easily become, "Lord, just send them away. I don't have time for them. She's crying after us. She wants us to do something for them. We, we don't wanna be bothered with this. Her needs are becoming a nuisance to us. We must never allow ourselves to fall into that. God has placed us here to be light and salt. God has placed us here to be a blessing to other people, to point them to Calvary, to show them hope and help in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can never allow ourselves to get a callous to where the needs of others don't affect us. About three years ago, I started learning how to deadlift with Sam. Deadlifting is like his favorite thing in the world. He just needs a life in the worst way. But he abs- it, it's his favorite thing. He claims that deadlifting uh, involves every muscle group in your body and he thinks it's the perfect exercise. And so he decided it was time for me to do that and deadlifting didn't work for me didn't work at all. I had no control over my left leg. And uh, when I would try to do anything, uh, the leg would just sort of fly out to the side. Uh, and and it, was just, it was just not a good thing. Uh, it was awkward. And we, we had to do all kinds of stuff to just even try to keep this foot from flying out and so forth. And every time I'd come in and, and, and Sam would say, hey, we're gonna deadlift, uh, he'd smile and I'd groan. Uh, and I'd put a fake smile on because I didn't want him to know how much I hated deadlifting. But we've been doing it now for some three years. Uh, I'm not going to ever break any records. I understand that. But I'm to the point, uh, on Fridays, it's usually one of the three big lifts. Sometimes it's all three, squat, bench, and deadlift. And occasionally say, which lift would you like to work on today? And it makes his day. I'll just say, let's do deadlifting. And I actually choose it. Uh, uh, on purpose because I kind of enjoy it. But uh, when we first started out, the the bars have this this gnarling on there to help you get a better grip. Uh, But over the course of time, when you start out, uh, I had all these raw marks right here on the palm of my hand from that. And it was very, very painful and so forth. If you were to get close enough, you'd see that right now I've got a callus at each joint right here. Uh, because I've done the deadlifting so much, uh, and, and now it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I, I can lift the weight, I, I can do 50 deadlifts in a session, and um, that part of my hand will never hurt uh, or anything, because i got a callus on there, and so I don't feel it anymore. Now, that is helpful for deadlifting. That is helpful if you're playing a guitar to get the callus on the end of your fingers and all that kind of stuff. But beloved, it never works in the Christian life to get a callus on your heart. Very easy for us to harden our hearts to the needs of other people. And we cannot do that. We pass them every day. We pass people all the time that are crying, but we're so focused on Jairus house that we never see it. It never registers with us that somebody has a heartache, that somebody has a burden. We drive by the intersection, we see the person with the cardboard sign that they that are homeless and it's very easy for us to get a callus on our heart and, and start saying things, well, if you get a job, you wouldn't need to be here, blah, blah, blah. You know the, the lies we start telling ourselves uh, and so forth. And uh, remember, we don't, we don't make eye contact with them because if you make eye contact, then they're real. We can't allow ourselves that kind of a callous in our heart. We've got to understand that uh, some of those people are going through trials that we don't even comprehend. There, there are some reasons why some of them are there. And I realize there are people that maybe they could get a job, maybe they should get a job and so forth. But that doesn't mean that everybody out there is a charlatan or a phony. There's people out there that need to know that somebody cares about them. Don't get that callous in your heart. Our Savior never did. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we saw with the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples said, send them away. The Savior said, no, let's sit them down and let's feed them. That was the way the Savior saw it. Yeah, he was on the way to Jairus' house, but that didn't make him lose his focus on the needs of everybody else, including that woman with the issue of blood. Luke, look at Luke chapter 23, verse number 34. The Savior is nailed to a cross. He's suffering the agonies that we don't comprehend. Uh, we, we don't even understand it. We can read about it, but there's no way for us to understand it. The, uh, but, but look what it says in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots." From the cross, the Savior could have been very focused on the Savior, on his suffering, on that crown of thorns that had been smashed into his skull, on the fact that his bones were all out of joint, on the fact that he had been filleted by the cat of nine tails to his visage was more marred than any man, the Bible says. He could have focused on the fact that they had plucked out his beard, according to the prophet Isaiah, that he was bleeding from every pore in his body. Uh, He could have blocked out the multitude and just thought about the fact that he'd been spat upon, he had been beaten by soldiers, he had nails in his hands, and his feet, and he could have just been concentrated and focusing on his sufferings. But in the middle of his sufferings, He took himself out of the way and he saw all of those people there and he realized I'm suffering for them. They need to be saved. They needed a savior and that's what I came to be. In the midst of all of that, he's praying for them that his father would be merciful and forgive them for the very things that they were doing. And as he's praying that, the Roman soldiers are at the foot of his cross gambling away his clothing. Here's the savior suffering but seeing the needs of other people. Would you look, please, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, again, the view of the, the view from the cross, verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciple standing by whom he loved, that would have been the Apostle John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. He's hanging on the cross. He is dying. And he looks down off that that cross and he sees his mother Mary standing here. Many scholars believe that by this time his father, his earthly father Joseph had passed away and Mary was a widow and uh, there she is standing uh, with her sister and Mary Magdalene and the apostle John standing there and he sees his mother, he he sees her tears, he knows that she's alone. He is her eldest son, It it would have been his responsibility to take care of his mother and he sees that. Now, he could have focused on the fact, I'm suffering and I'm about to die, but he he looked away from himself and he looked down and he saw his mother. Do you understand for him to say the simple words, woman, behold thy son, do you know what an effort that was? When a person hung upon the cross, their arms were stretched out by force as wide as they could get them. Their feet were pulled down as far as they could stretch them down and nailed in. When the cross was dropped into the hole, every bone went out of joint and and if you will, their hands were above their head now and everything's out of joint. Their lungs are completely compressed together. The only way they can draw a breath is they must push on the nails in their feet. They need to pull up on the nails in their hand enough to get a a, a single gasp of air as long as strength would allow and then they would slump back down into that position. Just breathing was a challenge. To talk was almost an impossibility. Superhuman strength was required. The Savior has been going through this. He, He did that for six hours. It's toward the end of that He pulls himself up. Can you imagine the effort it took just to get the words out? Woman, behold thy son. And then he goes back down and he pulls himself back up for yet another breath of air and he looks at John, said, Behold thy mother. Three words at a time. But he took care of his mom, he took care of her needs. He was so sensitive always to the needs of other people. I believe that part of being Christ-like is that we become that way. Instead of walking through life like a bull in a China shop and it's all about me, myself and I, we need to become very, very sensitive to the needs of other people. When we're hurting, when we're going through a trial, we often have very hard time seeing others around us because we're so focused on that. And we need to get, our focus, get the ability to get our, get our eyes off of ourselves and, and uh, take that opportunity to be a blessing. You understand one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is the comforter, right? We read that this morning, John chapter 14. Again, in John chapter 16, it, that, that title is given. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Does it not stand to reason if he lives inside of us, he is going to direct us to people who need comfort? The question is, have we got a callus on our heart to where we can't see the needs of other people anymore because all we see are ours? We need to be sensitive to the needs of other people, which brings me to a second thought. We need to be more sensitive to the, not just the needs of hurting people, but to the nudging of the Holy Spirit of God. I use the word nudging because needs and nudging start with an N. It's the only way Rob can enjoy a sermon. It's got to be alliterated. Turn, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 8. That Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is going to guide us, and he's going to direct us, and he's going to prompt us along the way about the next step the Lord would have us to take. In Acts chapter 8, we have the familiar story of a man named Philip who went to the city of Samaria and God used him to do a phenomenal work. The Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. The Samaritans despised Jewish people and Jewish people tended to despise the Samaritans. So when Philip went there and began preaching to this large city, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and it seems like almost all of the city turned to faith in Christ. It was a remarkable ministry. But verse 26, the Bible says, "'The angel Lord spake unto Philip, saying, "'Arise and go toward the south unto the way "'that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza,' "'which is desert.'" Gaza was the southernmost uh, portion of Israel in that particular day. Uh, The Lord, the Holy Spirit just speaks to him and says, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave this big ministry with all these people getting saved and baptized. And I want you to head south uh, and and I want you to go out into the desert. There's nothing there. The Lord didn't give him any more instructions than that. The the, the Lord didn't give him a printout saying, you're going to go here. You're going to meet this guy sitting in the chariot. Here's who he's going to be. Here's what's going to happen. He He just said, arise and go. Philip could have argued. Philip could have dragged his feet. It's what a lot of us would do because we always want God to fill in all the blanks for us, don't we? We like to know all the details about it. And God, I found, it, it generally gives me just one step at a time and it's the next step. And there's no point giving me the step after that unless I'm going to take the first step. Um, And and the way to find out what the second step is going to be is to take the first one. Philip could have argued, but he was so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, and he arose and went. And he arose and went. I often wondered if it had been me instead of Philip, is that what the scriptures would have said about my response? And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot read Esaias the prophet Philip couldn't have imagined this situation he couldn't have put it together if he tried but the Holy Spirit knew what was going on the Holy Spirit knew who needed a witness and he also knew who would listen to the Holy Spirit to be that witness Does God trust you enough to send you to be a witness for him or does he know if he tries, you'll ignore him? You'll let him know, but no, I can't. I'm on my way to Jairus' house. But there's a woman with an issue of blood that needs me. No, I need to get to Jairus' house. Does the Lord trust us enough to say, I need you to go talk to this person? Have you felt that nudging voice at the gas station Give that person a tract. The drive-through window, give that person a tract. Has the Lord given you that little nudge? I, I had a dear lady, she comes, uh, her and her husband come most every Sunday morning here. And uh, she met me at the door as she's going out. And uh, uh, she speaks somewhat in broken English, uh, just, a, just a sweet lady. And she said, you don't know how many times the Holy Spirit wakes me up at night and I lay awake for many hours a night and I pray for you because God told me to do that. Does the Holy Spirit trust us enough or does he know if he tries, we'll just ignore him and find a way to go to sleep? Or instead of praying, we'll whip out our phone and check to see who liked our picture of dinner on Facebook. Philip was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he said, go down to the desert to this direction, He arose and he went. He comes across this guy reading the Bible in his chariot, verse 29. Then the spirit said unto Philip, this is step two, go near and join thyself to this chariot. I'd have been trying to talk God out of that in every which way that I could. I would have been, I would have just, Lord, look at the guards around him. Lord, it's obvious he's some big rich guy. He's a, you know, he's the grand puba of something or other. Uh, and, and if I try to get close, they're, they're going to they're gonna come after me. These guards are going to bl- block my way. And I'd have been fussing with the Lord uh, all about it instead of just yielding to the Lord. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Look at verse 30. And Philip, what's the next word, church? ran he not he not only did not drag his feet he ran with those feet thither to him heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said understandest thou what thou readest and you know the story the man invited him up into the chariot they took off down the road together and Philip shared Christ with him from Isaiah 53 and that man got saved he got baptized on that day and went back home and, and church historians tell us that that eunuch went back and started the first Christian church on the continent of Africa because one man was that sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh my, we've got, to, we've got to learn to do that. Because you see, God's always speaking. I don't care where you go, you're going to see people that need the things of the Lord. But we've got to be able to get over ourselves. Yeah, but I'm going to Jairus' house. Yeah, but I got this thing going on in my life. Yeah, and we're so focused on ourselves and God's trying to talk to us, but we're not listening. And all those needs are just blurred in our sight and people don't get helped because we're not sensitive to that leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know this particular illustration, I've given it several times in the last few months, but in August, I went up and spent a week in the hospital. I went in expecting uh, a a lot of things to be done. I had a team of 17 doctors uh, working and meeting with me every day was a flurry of tests. uh, Just one doctor after another dealing with me. And uh, I I was looking forward to getting something done about this uh, heart situation that's going on. Uh, I arrived, I uh, I, I think I got into my room sometime on Friday. I'd been in the emergency room there for 25 hours. Finally got up into a room in the cardiac unit. And uh, the, the fellow that was in the room when I got there left within five minutes. He was discharged uh, and so forth. So I had a room to myself and, uh, and uh, so forth. About one o'clock in the morning, uh, all this noise happened and they brought my roommate in. Um, and he was, he was not talking softly. The nurses were not talking softly. There's a lot of check-in and, and, and stuff like that. And so uh, I wasn't sleeping much anyhow. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm just kind of listening to all this and, and so forth. And uh, I, I actually didn't even meet him until sometime on Saturday uh, because he, he was in and out, a lot of doctors and stuff like that. And it was later on Saturday I got to meet him. His name was Tim and so forth. As my eight-day stay there went on, um, they, they were changing my my diagnosis and they were just kind of uh, running test after test, crossing things off. And uh, so they were ruling out the heart and GI and cancer and, and a lot of other things. But for my roommate, Tim, they weren't ruling things out. They were adding things on. They find out that his, that his heart was just uh, almost beyond repair. He needs a heart transplant. Along the way, they found out that he did have cancer. And um, as, as my days went on, and it looked like I was just going to get discharged because in their minds, it wasn't all that big a deal. His, were, his diagnosis was, you've got a couple of months. During that time, Tim and I got to know each other. We got to talking with each other. Now, I, I could have been very focused on the pain that I was in, I was getting frustrated because they promised me I wasn't going home until they found answers and it became apparent to me I was going home with no answers after all. And I I could feel frustration moving in, but there was just a curtain there. It's not a matter of eavesdropping. I listened to the doctors talking to Tim and each one came in with a more dire diagnosis. They would leave, Tim would pull the curtain back this man needed to talk about it. Been very easy for me to have let the calluses interfere. Very, very easy. But there was somebody that needed, needed my attention more than I did. Sometimes we just have to get over ourselves, folks. And I knew, I knew at that moment why I was there. And for once, I can't say it's always been that way, but in that case, I yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Long story short, Tim trusted Christ as his personal savior. Tim and I have been in contact. He's not getting any better. Things are bad for him at the, at the current time. I believe with all of my heart, I wasn't in the hospital those eight days to get this fixed, obviously. Wasn't there for that. God put me there so Tim could get saved because Tim's days are very numbered on this earth and eternity very close for him. If we could just learn to get over ourselves, we would find out that there's people like that all around us that need our help. Are you that sensitive to the Holy Spirit to send that text, to make that phone call, to make that visit, to pass out that gospel tract, to share your testimony of faith, to give of your time, your talent, your treasure, or are you so self-absorbed with what's going on in your life that all of that is just a blur? This, This is my tendency. I focus on Jairus House. The story that we read, the account that we read in Mark chapter five of the Savior healing that woman on the way really helps encourage me and it challenges me. Tom, don't be so focused on Jairus' house that you forget everything in between. There's somebody this week who needs you to be there for them. There's somebody this week and you're going to cross paths with them that needs prayer, that needs a witness for Christ. The question is, is your heart calloused enough that you won't even see the need? Is your heart hardened enough that the Holy Spirit speaks and you're not listening anymore? You all know my grandson, Tommy. Um, Tommy's a unique little man and uh, sometimes uh, I'll come downstairs and uh, uh, you know, I'll say hi to the, to the kids and uh, if they're watching something on TV, there's a, they like watching people play video games. That is their favorite thing to do. I came home today and Nate and Gwen and Tom, are sitting on the couch and they're watching somebody play some game. I have no idea what it is it, it, it makes me go cross-eyed looking at it, but they'll just sit there watching somebody play a stupid game. I can say, hey, guys, how you doing? They don't listen to me. It's like I, I didn't speak at all. I'm not even there. Tommy especially. Um, you know, I'll come down and, and, hey, Tommy, how you doing? And Tommy's in his, his world. He, he's got something going uh, and so forth. Hey, Tommy, Tommy, look at me, Tommy. And he'll just keep going. He'll just keep on doing his thing unless I happen to have my phone out and I have no idea he's got this radar about it. If I'm standing down there holding my phone in my hand, hey, Tommy, how you doing? You have an iPhone? Oh, you have an iPhone. And he's eyeing it up. Do you have any games? Got any games on your iPhone? Uh, and, and that type of thing. And it, it's sort of like I'm talking to him and I know he hears me. I, I know the sound is registering, but unless he wants what I've got, he has a way of tuning me out. We do that to God all the time. He's always trying to talk to us. But we've got our own agenda. We've got our own focus. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves tuning God out all the time. Philip wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't like that. And you and I can't be like that either. I need to be sensitive to the needs of hurting people. I need to be more sensitive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit because that's the way my Savior was. Can we